0: welcome everyone to soccer made in portland i'm jamie goldberg i'm here with caitlin murray as always and we have a lot of soccer some made in portland some made elsewhere to talk about today
1: yeah there were a lot of games and frankly the u.s open cup game happened less than a week ago in my brain it feels like it was about three months ago like i feel like so much has happened since then I personally have had a pretty busy week. I'm sure you have, too. So I was really racking my brain trying to remember these games. But now we're going to go through them all again. And as we go, hopefully uh, my memory gets refreshed.
0: Yeah, it really feels like the Timbers played Minnesota. The Thorns played uh, the rain just a month ago. It's kind of amazing how quickly those kind of feel like they're behind us. But we haven't talked about them yet. So let's talk a little bit about Timbers versus Minnesota in U.S. Open Cup. And then we will get into the more recent game against Vancouver. Um, I predicted the score correct, <laughs> so yay! That's... It's our first uh, first correct score since first, I joined. Yes, I think. Uh, yeah, we are, our predictions have not been uh, that great. <laughs>
1: no, <laughs> they've been pretty bad. But you, we don't have a point system, but you definitely deserve some sort of pat on the back or something. Yeah, I get, so I get congratulations, like a, Jamie!
0: A slow golf clap, a polite yes. golf clap, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like a
1: Carly Lloyd golf clap at the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's
0: how we, our point system should be that, just different players' reactions to goals scored. We kind of, different goal celebrations. Yeah, we can yeah. kind have of, the Charas, just um, polite look <laughs> that he gives whenever any team, whenever his teammates score, So, uh, Yeah, I had an Abobasi goal. That didn't happen, but we'll talk a little bit about a, what Abobasi did do in that game. You had the Timbers would win with a Blanca goal. That is, unfortunately, for the Timbers, not how it turned out. No. loss to Minnesota in the U.S. Open Cup. The Timbers' first run to the semifinals since 2013. Unfortunately for them, they won't be going on to play Atlanta. I think the first thing that happened in that game, and I I almost think that this is a bigger deal because of how this whole week played out, but just after conceding a handball, uh, Larry Smabial, a handball on Sunday, early in this U.S. Open Cup game, Claude Yelna has called for handball in the box on a free kick. Giovanni Savarese yeah. said afterwards that he didn't feel like that was a handball. What did you think?
1: Look, I know this is a Portland Timbers
0: <laughs> podcast.
1: Half of it is at least. And there are a lot of Timbers fans who were not happy with that call. I don't see it as being particularly controversial personally because I just watched it again, right before we started recording again to refresh my memory. Cause it feels like it happened a year ago, but his elbow is above his head mm-hmm. and the ball hit his elbow. And yes, I think players should be allowed to block their faces and concussions are a real thing. And that's something just in general, I think soccer needs to do better of addressing. So, I I don't know if if his elbow wasn't up in the air the way it was. Is the referee making that same call? I'm not sure. But the fact is, his elbow was up in the air. Dielna turned away and put his arm out. So I don't think it was that hard of a decision to make because of the way his arm was extended away from his body. Um, But I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I actually completely agree with you. And for the same reasons, I I found it interesting that Savarese even later in the week was pointing to that handball as controversial and it it sort of feels like given how the week played out we'll get into the potential handball against Vancouver we already talked obviously about what we both felt was a much more controversial handball in the MLS Cup game versus Minnesota Mm -hmm. last Sunday I I feel like the controversy around this one may have been a little bit overblown Um, I agree that maybe FIFA rules should be looking at how do we avoid concussions? When do players have the right to block their head uh, as opposed to this is either a foul or, or you're going to potentially have a concussion? Not really a good choice there, but that was a handball by by the roles as far as they are right now. So, yeah, I didn't have much of a problem with it.
1: Yeah. And I I, I don't want to see, uh, you know, the timbers getting to a point where it's always a referee issue because yeah. I feel like maybe with certain coaches in the past that was more <laughs> of a narrative after they lost games and I mean there are other things we can point to in this game it didn't necessarily all come down to a single moment with Claude Dielna putting his elbow in the air but I mean look the, the laws of the game are flawed but they are what they are and I just I don't see the controversy, personally.
0: Yeah, I, I do uh, want to talk a little bit more about Dielna specifically. He's obviously a player I think he came up with the first goal, which I, I think is tough on him. It, it's hard to really blame him uh, for that goal, uh, trying to block his face. But he is on the second goal, the player that was beat, uh, which led to uh, Mason Toy uh, scoring his first goal. Yeah. How do you feel about how Dielna has sort of done this season, even recently, where I feel like we talked about him playing a little bit better, but um, kind of looking at that signing uh, with, with hindsight, uh, where do you kind of land?
1: Well, I think the fact that this is even a question, yeah. <laughs> even being asked, kind of says it all. I mean, I, I was surprised to see Dale start. He hasn't been what I would describe as very good, certainly not consistent. <laughs> Um, you know, he's had his moments where he's put in, you know, serviceable, solid performances, but it hasn't been consistent enough to start him and expect that that's what you're going to get. And he did look a bit slow against Minnesota. And I, I think the Timbers wanted, you know, at times to play maybe a a higher line and they didn't really have the players to do that. D'Elna isn't fast, um, You know, I don't think across the back line, there's a ton of speed in general. And I was surprised that Bill Tulioma didn't start. And I personally think that Tulioma is, has been better than Dielna. I won't say is, but he has, I think his performances have been more solid. And I think you asked uh, Giovanni Savarese about Tulioma and didn't he essentially say that he didn't think... Tui
0: Loma was like trying hard enough in practice. What did he say to you? He essentially said that based on practice, he he wasn't seeing what he wanted to see out of Tui Loma in those weeks leading up to these games, obviously. And he acknowledged that uh, Bill was coming back from injury. And so that Mm -hmm. could be a factor less maybe about mentality and more so about not being putting out the effort they need, but potentially because he was coming off an injury. So I'm not sure what led to it, but for whatever reason, in the moment that this game happened, Sovereignty felt that Dielna was a better choice. I would, you said, I, I you didn't want to say Tui Loma is, is better than Dielna. I will say Tui Loma <laughs> is better than Dielna. Uh, Dielna has been a bust of a signing for yeah. the Timbers. He has, like you said, had a few serviceable performances, which is, not a tremendous <laughs> word to, to say about any <laughs> defender, but for the most part, there's been a lot of mistakes, and he has looked slow. There, there have been forwards that have been, able, have, been, have been able to get in behind the back line because he hasn't been fast enough to keep up with them. And so yeah. now that Tui Loma is back from injury, now that whatever Sovras needed to see in practice he's seen, I don't see any reason for Dielna to get back on the field, and I, I think as long as they have Gascante, they have Mabial, they have Tui Loma, it should just be a rotation with those three players.
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll be surprised if Dielna is still with this team next year. I, I don't know yeah. anything about how his contract is structured, but I I think just kind of how they usually work, um, you know, if the Timbers aren't happy with his performances, he's not going to be back next season. And I think what we've seen is that. There was a reason the New England Revolution were not starting him, and they were happy to trade him. Yeah. So um, they rolled the dice. Uh, they needed some depth. And, you know, there are only so many options available in the circumstances I think maybe the Timbers were in. So they, they took a gamble. It didn't pay off. Uh, at this point, it's not the end of the world because they do have some other Uh, depth pieces, uh, center backs who are capable of filling in. But, I mean, it hasn't worked out the way they wanted. I think that's safe to say. And um, I would be surprised if Dielna keeps getting starts, even when the team needs to rotate. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I think he's only on a one-year contract. And I I think, like you said, it was a gamble because they wanted someone with MLS experience specifically because they were going to be on the road for the first 12 games of the year. And they didn't get it right. I I just think that's clear. And I would be shocked if he's here next year. Um, yeah. so let's go, I guess, to a more positive note instead of just talking about a single player and, and why he shouldn't be on the roster. Um, let's talk about, before we move on to Timbers Vancouver, let's talk about the third goal that happened that game. This one was by the Timbers. Brian Fernandez scored good goal by Fernandez, but the player I really wanted to talk about on that play was Jeremy Abobesi who takes across from Jorge Morera and with the first touch, finds fernandez right in front of goal i don't think anyone else except fernandez was expecting that the defense clearly wasn't um so tyson asks with jeremy abobasi scoring and this is after the vancouver game his eighth goal overall and playing in all mls matches is this the production you were hoping for from him at the start of the season or, or at this point do you still feel like we should be expecting more from abobasi
1: well, I mean, it's a progression. So I think from that standpoint, you know, that's that's what everyone wanted to see. That's a good thing. I feel like when people ask questions about Jeremy Bobacsi's production, it's always sort of in the in the frame of trying to compare him to someone like Fernandez, because I think there are a lot of people who Wanted Jeremy Obobasi to be the guy up top who's going to be scoring goals. They didn't think that the Timbers needed to spend, you know, rumored around $10 million to bring in a DP striker. And I think you just look at the stats. Brian Fernandez has played roughly half the minutes that Jeremy Obobasi has, and they have the same amount of goals. And Jeremy Obobasi has two game winners. That's great. Brian Fernandez has. Three game winners, I just think there 's not really a comparison there, and it kind of it shows that Jeremy bobasi does have room to grow, he can be putting up bigger numbers, but I think the important thing to keep in mind with Jeremy Bobbasi is what has made him so valuable to this team has not really ever been his goal scoring. I mean, that's, that's where we want to see the growth. That's where he can definitely add more value, but it's always been the sort of things we uh, like what we saw against Minnesota where he is someone who has great awareness of the players around him, how to combine and create chances for the players around him. So um, I think Jeremy Obobese has looked great this season and uh, he's taken a step forward and, I've been pleased with his performances, but what do you think?
0: Yeah, I think that he has probably exceeded my expectations. In, in terms of the raw numbers, I, I think eight goals is good. Given the minutes he played, I don't think it's incredible. But just like you talked about, with his awareness, his intelligence on the field, and, and really his growth throughout the season. Uh, because I think there were games earlier in the year, he was struggling to finish. He he missed some easy uh, shots that, that a good striker should bury. I think that's Mm -hmm. an area that he's still getting better on. But in terms of just uh, his ability to set up his teammates, his ability to make a difference in the attack, and and recently his ability to to score some big goals, some really nice goals, he's improved tremendously. And and to be at the point he's at at this point, his first full season as a starter, I I think the Timbers have to be really happy with where he's at at this moment.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely been a positive season for him. And I think he can get even better as the season goes on and I think you know something he talked about after MLS Cup was he wanted to be better in those big game moments you know he wanted to be more of a clutch player and I think we could see that progression from him where he is scoring more game-winning goals he is scoring when the stakes are highest and that I think is sort of a next step for him to reach and you know I'm hopeful that we'll see that.
0: All right, let's talk about the more recent game, the one that I think is a lot more on our minds, and that is Timbers versus Vancouver. Timbers had the back-to-back losses at Minnesota, but they came home on Saturday, beat the Vancouver Whitecaps 3-1. to We actually both did a pretty good job in guessing this. So we didn't think the Whitecaps would score, but I thought the Timbers would win 2 nothing. You thought they'd win 3 to nothing. I said a Marrera goal, you said a Paredes goal, neither of that happened, but I think we both had the idea that this was a weak Vancouver team, and even with the fatigue, the Timbers should be able to come in and get the job done.
1: Yeah, I think we just looked at the (laughs) standings, saw the Whitecaps were in last place, so yeah, the Timbers should beat them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I do think, again, and hopefully we're not going to have to talk too much about uh, refereeing for the rest of the season, but... I will say there was another moment at the end of the first half with the game mm-hmm. tied one-to-one uh, where the ball hit off the head of a Vancouver player before hitting his arm. The referee said after the game that it was not a handball because he deemed that his, the player's arm was in a natural playing position. How did you feel about that no call?
1: I thought it was the correct no call. Sorry again uh Timbers fans. I know I saw some people were aggrieved about it, but I did see some other Timbers fans being like, "All right, let's let's chill out. This was not a this was not a handball." Um I mean the guidelines, you know, I I did some Googling. They're pretty clear that if a player's arms are below their shoulders when the ball hits their hand, it's less likely that that is going to be a handball. That's the guidance um, from the English uh, Football Association. And if the ball hits a player's hand after it hits off their own body. So in this case, it went off the Vancouver player's head and then hit his own hand. It's probably not a handball. And I just, I don't see intent. I don't see him making himself bigger. I just didn't see uh, that as a PK. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I think because the rule says in most circumstances, after it hits off a player's head or off their body and then hits their arm or hand, it's not a handball. It makes it a tougher situation to call. But I somewhat disagree about the idea that it didn't make his body bigger. Obviously, there was no intent, but that's the question. Whether in the circumstance that he makes his body bigger, in that situation, that can be a handball in the box. And and I think he did. I I don't really think his arm as the referee said after the game was in a natural playing position. I I thought it was pretty outstretched. I think it was controversial. I I think if I was going to rank the week's controversy, it it would be two of three with with Dielna's being the least controversial and uh, (laughs) uh, Mabiala's being the most, but I can see why the Timbers at the end of that half were yelling in the referee's face were not happy, especially given the week they had had. I I think it could have gone either way.
1: But if you're jumping in the air, which is what he was doing, I mean, how do you do that without lifting your arm at all? And like I said, it's not as if his arm was up in the air. It wasn't above his shoulder. It was just sort of out because like, I don't know, I feel like that's what you do when you jump in the air, like it's a balance thing. I don't know, I just, I think it would have been pretty harsh to call that, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, we've seen, here's the problem, we've seen referees who would make that call and probably have, and then we see ones that don't, so, um, like, precedent means nothing in refereeing, but it's certainly... Uh, leads people to feel upset and angry because they can easily point to an example where that would
0: have been called. So Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that's the big thing. I think if Pro was more consistent, if the referees they had were more consistent, if they had the guidelines, if we felt like it was... If, as a reporter, you could say, yes, that's a handball, no, that's not a handball because Pro has laid this out and the referees have done a good job of following this, then I, I think yeah, it would take some controversy away. But the fact that week in and week out it's like there's 10 different plays on the field and they could go 50 different ways it it makes it really hard to look at these plays and go one way or the other and and i think that's yeah. why the timbers I, I mean felt the way they did coming out of that of course in this game uh, it was not a game changing no call mm-hmm. as uh, the controversial calls in the other games were the timbers still win 3 to 1 i think yeah other thing we've talked a lot about is how the Timbers would do against a bunkering team, and Vancouver certainly was more defensive than the teams that – than, say, like the L.A. Galaxy that the Timbers had recently faced at home. Did this prove to you that the Timbers can manage bunkering teams?
1: Well, I mean, on one hand, I guess you could say yes. I mean, they won 3-1. to one. You can't be too negative about that. But at the same time, while I was watching that game – it seemed like a lot of the Timbers' shots were from distance, outside the box. And if you look at the goals they scored, they were less about the Timbers unlocking the Whitecaps' defense. And it was more about you know a couple amazing shots from distance, one on a counterattack. And up until Jeremy Obobese scored that last goal on the counterattack, I kind of thought the Whitecaps might equalize and the game might end up being 2-2. And, I mean, I'm not sure that... Uh, Jordy Reyna's goal for the Whitecaps should have been called offside either. I mean, the angle that was uh, shown on the replay, you know, I just looked it up again, it wasn't super clear. So I think the game was actually closer than the 3 1 scoreline suggests. And I do think the Whitecaps were a really bad team. So. I think that the Timbers should take some confidence from this. I mean, having a player like Marvin Luria step up and have the game he had, great to see. Um, there are definitely positive things about that performance, but I don't know if it was sort of the, we're going to unlock this defense, we're going to show we can you know, create opportunities in different ways. I saw a lot of shots from distance. I saw counterattacks. I, I don't know if... I saw everything I wanted to see, but, you know, again, they won, and that is a positive, and they should take this win and build on it.
0: Yeah, I I think that, obviously, it it was a little bit different than the Orlando or the Colorado game because the game opened up once the Timbers found the goals, and and so it wasn't – Vancouver had to – couldn't throw as many numbers into the box towards the end of the game. I think that's part of the reason that – Timbers were able to score the goal they did with Jeremy Bovesy because Vancouver was Mm -hmm. trying to push forward to get the equalizer. And I I think that it did take a few moments of brilliance from from Blanco and Loria being able to take those shots from well outside the box. Those are not high-probability shots, but those players are capable of making the most of them. And because the Whitecaps were throwing numbers in the box, they had the openings to be able to do that. So... I, I think goals change games. I, Diego Valeri was talking to me about this uh, a few weeks ago in terms of facing bunkering teams. He, he felt it was more about when you get the goal, and, and obviously, if you get a goal early, that changes the game. That changes what the other team can do. It, it's yeah, not game state. Yeah, it's not about finding a, necessarily a way only to just unlock opposing defenses. It's more about finding a way to put the goal, the score line in your favor at an early enough point in the game. So. Mm-hmm. I think they did that in this match. Uh, I, I still think bunkering is going to be a solution that teams use against the Timbers.
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't think we saw that teams coming to Providence Park are going to look at this game and say, oh, bunkering's not going to work anymore. Yep. We can't do that. I don't think that's the takeaway from this game.
0: So you mentioned Luria. Let's just talk a little bit about the Timbers' staff The Renzo Zambrano also was on the MLS Team of the Week. We've seen, especially on the defense, there's... A, no side. Even if you take him <laughs> aside, uh, you, you have three center backs that have been pretty consistent for the Timbers, three outside backs. You have, like I said, Renzo in the midfield that can come in. Loria in, in the attack that can come in. I have a Bobasi and Fernandez that can both start or one can be on the bench. The Timbers are looking like a pretty deep team right now.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, it's been good to see guys like Marvin Luria, Renzo Zambrano, Christian Paredes. I mean, these are players that have taken huge steps forward this year, whereas last year they – were barely depth. I mean, Paredes. You know, he had more of a run than the other two, um, but they were really sort of second string guys, and you wouldn't be starting them in any circumstances. Maybe whereas. This year, they're real options, and they're coming in and impacting games, and I think that's really positive. I have to say, I I didn't understand starting DiRon Espria at all. I personally would not start him. He has not been productive. He's had one of the worst uh, shot-to-goal uh, conversion rates in MLS, so maybe that's more of a coaching decision than a lack of depth decision. Same with Claude D'Elna. Like Like I said, I would have started bill tulioma so it's not as if the depth isn't there it's just a decision that i didn't agree with of how to use the depth that i didn't think was the best decision but as far as the players being available i think the options are there and i think You know, you have to give credit to Giovanni Savarese and the coaching staff in that. I think this year they did a better job and maybe a more thoughtful job of making sure that they had more options up and down the roster and everyone was sort of prepared to step in in moments. So I think they seem to have more depth and they seem to have more players who are sort of up for it and have made themselves uh, options, have pushed themselves and. to the conversation of being players who should be getting minutes. So I I agree. I think that the depth looks really good this year.
0: Yeah, I think in the past, you've had players that the Timbers have signed from T2, and you go back a few years, there was a lot of excitement about a group of players coming out of T2, and and then those players just go right back down, and they get loaned out to T2. I, I mean, we've seen that a lot with Marco Farfan, obviously. Um, Foster Langsdorf is basically a T2 player. We've seen that with players on the, in the past that are no longer on the roster. What's different this year is they were able to bring players like Luria and Zambrano sign them to the first team. And the truth was that those players were ready. They were ready for that step. And that Mm -hmm. has paid off a lot. And the Timbers haven't been able to do that with their T2 program in the past, even though they say they're developing prospects. We haven't really seen those prospects go from T2 to becoming regular MLS starters, at least for the most part. I mean, you would guess you could put Jeremy and Bobacy in that boat, but he he wasn't on the T2 roster. He was not He was being loaned down for a while. Uh, Luria and Zambrano came to T2, developed in T2, and, and are now performing for the first team. And I think having that option, which is sort of new from, from how the team signs players, has put them in a position where they have better depth than I think they've ever had in the past. I agree. So let's move on talking about the depth to the next two games which they are going to need that depth again and again (laughs) timbers for chicago wednesday i I mean this is five games in 15 days that they're facing right now they'll play their fourth of those five games wednesday their fifth of those five games sunday they've already had a a a stretch like this back in july they're going to have another stretch like this in september so there are a lot of games the timbers are dealing with right now and Given that they're still in eighth place in the standings, how they manage these compacted schedules, I think, is going to be really important. Uh, Because even though they have all these home games coming up, if they can't deal with these turnarounds, it's not going to make much of a difference in terms of moving up the standings. Like I said, first game uh, this week is against Chicago at home on Wednesday at 8 p.m., it's an Eastern Conference opponent that both opponents are facing this week Our Eastern Conference opponents. I mean, do you have any thoughts on what the lineup's going to look like, or, or do you sort of just expect it to be the same as we've seen the last few games where there's a few rotations and a, a few guys going uh, once again? Well, every time I try to <laughs>
1: say what I think Gio will do or should do, I'm wrong. So... I'm not even going to attempt it. I will say, I think what we have seen is that Geo hasn't been putting out like full second string lineups. Yeah. I, I can't recall that at any point this season. I think usually it's just a few key positions and then trying to get the most out of the regular starters. I mean, Sebastian Blanco will be played as much as humanly possible. All, you know, that's all I can determine. So... I, I, I guess it will probably be just sort of a few rotations, but which players, how many? I mean, I am not even going to wager a guess and, you know, waste everyone's time when I'm wrong. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the question is going to be players like Sebastian Blanco and, and Diego Chara. Um, that I, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I'm right about this, but I, I believe that have played all three games in the stretch of five games in 15 days so far. Um, I, I'm pretty sure they run the U.S. Open Cup game as well. I just don't know if you can push those players to go all five games, and, and so at some point they have to sit. Is it going to be against Chicago? Is it going to be against Atlanta? I think it would make a lot of sense to rotate a few of those players out against Chicago, and, and then make sure that they're ready to go for Atlanta. So. My biggest question marks are are Blanco and and Chara specifically based on the fact that they've gone all three games in this stretch so far. Uh, So, I mean, I I think looking through the lineup, Clark can probably go forever as a goalkeeper. Uh, Bobacy has had a game rest. Fernandez had a game rest. Valeri had a game rest. Mabiala had a game rest. I, I think the other rotations, he can just sort of base it on how those players have been doing in training and what the metrics look like but there's a few very key players that I I think are going to either have to sit Wednesday or Sunday do you just
1: assume that Atlanta might beat you and don't put out your best lineup against them or do you put out your best lineup against them because they're a better team
0: I think I would be more likely to assume that the Timbers are going to put out their best lineup against Atlanta because given I think it's more that given the stretch, this seems to be the game on Wednesday that would make sense to get some players a rest because they've already yeah, gone three games Against Chicago. Yeah, because yeah. they've already gone three games, some of these players in eight days, to push them to four games in, in something like 12 days. I think it's a lot to ask. So I, regardless right. of what the teams look like on Wednesday and Sunday, I just think it makes potentially more sense to get players like Blanco and Char a rest tomorrow. But like you said... We cannot predict Giovanni (laughs) Savarresti to save our life. And we
1: don't. We don't. This
0: has been different every time. I I do think Fernandez is one player that we can sort of count on being back in because he was back in training and he didn't play against Vancouver. But outside of that, I expect a good lineup with some rotations, and they're going to try to put out a group to be able to get the job done against Chicago. I agree. Timbers versus Atlanta. Uh, I think the fun of this one will be that it's an MLS Cup rematch the timbers obviously <laughs> lost to Atlanta in the mls cup finals last year um i don't know if we have too much more to add i, I think in terms of fatigue that's probably going to be the biggest question going to this game and, and i think if you agree i, I think it's sort of going to depend on what lineup they put out wednesday whether we see a top lineup wednesday and sort of assume they're conceding atlanta or, or whether we see some more of a rotated group against chicago
1: 100 percent i mean I think Jamie and I are too busy to do this podcast like three times a week (laughs) to be able to directly predict and, you know, talk about each game as they come. But yeah, I mean, the weekend game is going to depend on what happens midweek, 100%. Yeah,
0: and obviously, uh, Josef Martinez, uh, after a slow start to the season, is uh, back to his usual self. So that's going to be a big talking point, I think, for the Timbers in that game, whether they can shut him down. Atlanta's a good team. Yeah,
1: he beat um, Diego Valeri's uh, goal-scoring record, too. He scored in 10 straight games now in MLS play. So he's
0: kind of on fire. (laughs) Look out for that guy. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big one uh, on Sunday. Atlanta's obviously a very good team. The Timbers have these home games coming up, but, uh, I mean, if they don't get the job done in some of these games and these tight stretches are going to make it difficult, they're still in eighth place. Still in eighth place. That is true. (laughs) All right, let's hit uh, just a few more listener questions before we move on to the Hot Takes segment. Talking about the Timbers still being in eighth place and and where they're going to be at the end of the season, Eric wants to know, what is the points-per-game expectation that we can expect for the Timbers in in the final 11 games of the season? I, I guess he's talking specifically about the home game, so the 10 games that the Timbers will play at home, how many points per game can we reasonably expect them to get during that stretch?
1: Jamie, this sounds like the perfect question for you to answer.
0: <laughs> All right. I will take it. Um, if you look back at 2018 and 2017, the Timbers had the same home record in both years. They, they had about 2.18 points per game at home uh, in, in both 2017 and 2018 in 2016 they were slightly better at home they had 2.23 they secured 2.23 points per game at home during that year so i think we can sort of expect anywhere from 2.0 to maybe 2.3 even 2.4 points per game at home for the remainder of the year if you're sort of looking on past years if you're also maybe taking into account that this is on the positive side, the end of the season when the team is potentially going to be trying to play its best soccer, coming together, set on a lineup, maybe they outperform what they've done through an entire season in previous years. Or on the negative side, maybe the compacted schedule pushes them down a little bit from previous years. But I think if we're seeing numbers under two points per game, uh, something has gone pretty wrong for this team, and and then you're looking at a situation where. I don't know if that's going to be enough to really propel them to where they want to get in the standings.
1: Well, I have not done any sort of research on, like, points per game and, you know, the amount of wins you should be getting at home. But I do know that no team has ever had to play a long stretch on the road because of stadium construction and then failed to make playoffs. So... History, the precedent tells us that having a bunch of games at home works out just fine for teams, and they are able to collect a lot of points during those stretches. I think that it's been maybe a little bit of a mixed bag for the Timbers at home, but they have a ton of home games uh, to go to finish out the season. So I think we can definitely see them start to collect more points and kind of get that uh, points per game where they want it to be um or you know where they hoped it would be even so um yeah they're they're they started the season behind because of the stadium construction and that sort of skews the way we look at the season but like i said no team has ever had to do that and then not made playoffs all
0: right let's to sort of warm up for the hot take let's ask answer a listener question that i think is going to involve a little bit of a hot take um i think we may have actually already touched on this just in our discussion uh amazingly yeah, I think but so. actually which timber uh kenji wants to know which timber do you least want to see on the field again or which timber do you least expect to see on the field again
1: well i feel like this is a very harsh question yeah, it is um all of these guys are very nice. When when I've interviewed them, they seem like wonderful people, and you know, good soccer players in their own respects. Um, I might alter it slightly and say I don't like. I said I already said it. Diron Espria should not be starting games. I don't understand it. Um, I think runners up, Claude Dielna. Um I think Andy Polo is actually. Um, Like, he actually does bring some value in terms of, like, possession and, like, transition and, um, you know, controlling the ball in the midfield. But he hasn't been nearly as productive as the Timbers' other options. So those, when I saw this question, those were the three that jumped to mind. But I didn't, like, put a ton of thought into this. Maybe I missed... Uh, some players I should have been thinking of, but that's who jumped to my mind. What What's your take, Jamie? Yeah, I,
0: I honestly think you hit on the, the three players that, that came to my mind. I, I think to soften the question, like you said, three players that I don't really think have a, a r- huge role to play on this team moving forward. And yeah. in all three cases, I don't really see what the benefit would be to bring those players back next year. I think Andy Polo has done well for the team at times. But when you mm-hmm. look at what Laria is doing, I just don't know if Andy Polo is worth the investment as a player that plays in the same position, but clearly has shown he he can't provide the same production in the attack. Um, so I think Laria has sort of put Andy Polo in, in a conversation about whether it's worthwhile to have him on the roster. I think Dielna, the Timbers, have enough depth without him when Tui Loma Cascante and Mabiala are healthy and he just hasn't shown enough to to really uh repay the investment the timbers made in him and espria may, maybe will be here forever because it seems like he comes <laughs> back year after year but it, it still is really hit or miss with him on the field there there's no consistency there even though every once in a while he becomes the hero in seattle that helps the timbers make a yeah. run ten M- walls cup yeah he's getting by on um that equity he built in seattle yeah. i think
1: i mean yeah he's mr november mr playoffs i mean he has managed to score in playoffs but maybe that's what it is maybe just don't play him during the regular <laughs> season at all and then playoffs he's your first option off the bench yeah
0: yeah i mean t2 he seems to do fine so he can play t2 year, and then uh in playoffs he can he can be a hero. with yeah. <laughs> the playoff MVP every time around, apparently. <laughs> All right, let's hit some real hot takes or less hot takes, depending on which way we go. Caitlin, why don't you start us off?
1: Oh, okay. Um, well, there are a lot of things going on in MLS that I do want to talk about. I feel like MLS's policy on political speech needs to be addressed. I thought Mike Pecky's firing was an interesting one that I've thought on, but, you know, I've had a long, busy, and stressful week, so I'm going to go in a different direction for my hot take, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but now I'm just going to go for it. In the era of VAR, FIFA, IFAB, the people who make the laws of the game, MLS, whoever, they need to rewrite The rules of soccer as long as VAR is going to be used because the way the rules were written and the way they are now being enforced I think is just incompatible with each other in in terms of the way we have all watched the game for years. I mean on handballs we're still trying to judge things like intent. That is impossible. Referees are not mind readers so simplify the rule. You could go uh, all the way in one direction and say as long as the ball hits someone's hand that's an automatic penalty if it happens in the box i think that would be pretty harsh So, maybe instead they can have some specific rules about here's where your hand can be in relation to your body, where it's not going to be a handball. Here's uh, where it can't be. Here's a situation where you can protect your head and put your hand in front of your face or whatever. Change the rules, make it really clear. I think, you know, handballs have been uh, a hot topic in Timbers' world, but I actually think the biggest problem has been offside calls. We're seeing goals overturned because someone leaned the wrong way for a split second. During the World Cup, there was a goal that was called back because a player who wasn't even facing goal, her trailing leg was kicked up behind her. And they used that to say that she was offside. She was gaining no advantage on the play. It was stupid that it was overturned. And it was infuriating because that was a goal that should have counted. And I think if we have VAR and we're going to be, you know, nitpicking and splitting hairs, then just change the rule. Make sure there's daylight in between on an offside call. Change the rule in some way so we're not, you know, talking about which way players are leaning or if the, the weight is on their right foot or their left foot. I just think it's silly and it makes the game less fun and we have to sit around and, you know, wait for... VAR to be checked. Players aren't even celebrating goals full heartedly because they think it might be called back. So why waste time celebrating? Uh, I just think it needs to be changed. And I mean, at the Women's World Cup, I think we saw the effects of VAR in that they were using VAR to very harshly make goalkeepers stay on the line until the moment a ball is kicked even when they were off by like an inch or two in some of these instances and i think we saw that's what var does you have access to the technology to make sure everything is exactly right so that's what you do and i sat in a press conference in paris that was super boring where fifa defended var and the referees and they said that the referees were using var correctly And I think a lot of fans watching didn't feel that way. It didn't feel like it was being used correctly. So if VAR is the way of soccer in the future, which I think it is, I think they just need to change the rules to address that. Because I just think that VAR has made certain norms no longer norms in soccer.
0: Yeah, uh, I I would agree with that overall i think it's tough in any sport you see that in baseball too not not to bring up your favorite sport um <laughs> you see that too where it's i mean for years it was almost accepted that a player can sort of drag their foot across the bag uh, going from second to first on a double play or something like that or there there was an element of yeah close enough that once you put in video review there's no such thing as that anymore um And maybe in baseball, that's right. Maybe there shouldn't be a close enough. That's really not the rule. But in soccer, there are clear instances where you pointed out where it isn't giving the team an advantage. And it is just silly that VAR is being used that way. I I definitely agree with the goalkeeper situation at the World Cup. Uh, That's just insane because it basically gives the goalkeeper absolutely no chance at trying to block that shot. Uh, But the offsides, I, I think, is another big one. So... I agree with you. As the game evol- evolves in every sport, I-, I think the rules need to be rewritten to accommodate the use of video in sports.
1: Yeah, I feel like maybe I came out a little hot on that take. I don't know. I feel like I got riled up, but even though I, I'm not a fan of VAR or VAR, you know, however you want to say it, I don't think that it has to be something that people hate and something I'm against. I just think that the implementation, I haven't been thrilled with it. I think it can be addressed. I think it may involve having to change some of the actual laws of soccer, but we'll see. I don't know. It, I mean, bar isn't going away anytime soon. So I would just like to see the fun and the spirit of the game not be changed by VAR. And unfortunately, I think in some cases, not all, but in some cases that has happened. So anyway, I I feel like my rant was a little long. So why don't you uh, give your take, Jamie? Yeah, I
0: think um, I, I was going to talk more about refereeing too, but I think that's getting a little tired uh, as the only thing to talk about, uh, it feels yeah. like, especially with the game. So I, I will address, um, as you mentioned earlier, the sort of political signage in that MLS has banned, um, and that has obviously been a controversy this year. Uh, specifically, they've banned the Iron Front symbol. Uh, fans have pushed back against that. They've brought uh, the, They've worn that on their shirt, which is still allowed, but you can't have signs of it. They, they've tried to push back. You've seen that symbol on signs in stadiums. You saw an Atlanta fan get kicked out this weekend and, and banned. For multiple games for bringing that type of signage to to the game. I, I'm not going to go as hot as I, I guess I could go on this, but what I'm going to say is that if MLS is going to have a policy to, to ensure, and I think the intent behind the policy is to ensure that everyone feels like they're in a safe, secure and friendly environment when they're watching a soccer game, that they're not necessarily uh, in an environment that makes them feel uncomfortable. I get that element of it, but to add in, political as a, just a singular word in, in saying what cannot be displayed at games is completely arbitrary. I, I mean, there are so many examples right now uh, of things that would fit into the realm of political if MLS wanted it to that are allowed at games right now. Fans are allowed to bring in a sign that says we're against racism. We're against fascism and, and that's fine. But at the same time, the iron front symbol becomes political. Um, there's, it's inherently political when you are having things like, um, supporting the LGBT community or, or having uniforms that are, uh, you know, similar to army attire or singing the national, yeah, military days, singing the national anthem. I I mean, these things have all become politicized in, in our country. And so to use that term to define a narrow set of items without making it clear what that set should be um, and, and sort of making an arbitrary decision, I, I don't think it's the right way to go about it. I, I think you're also seeing, because of how broad that term, those terms are, you're seeing from stadium to stadium fans being told they have to get rid of certain signs, they have to get rid of what they're wearing, things like that, that in other stadiums are considered completely fine, so... I think MLS, I, whatever intent they want to have, I don't think they've achieved the exact intent they wanted. And I do think they have to take a close look at how they're defining some of these terms and determining what fans can do because it's, I don't think it even makes sense to fans at this point what political encompasses. And from stadium to stadium, you're seeing different fans get in trouble for different things.
1: Yeah, I just, I think that the iron front symbol was a strange battle for MLS to pick because they picked their battles. They, you know, chose not to punish Alejandro Bedoya for what was clearly a political statement in the microphone during uh, a game against DC United. And I don't think he should have been punished for that, but it's just so uh, arbitrary, I think is the word you use. And I think that's right. It seems that they pick certain battles and not others. I don't know why the Iron Front was a battle that they chose. And I have to be honest, I didn't really know that much about the Iron Front symbol or the history. Now I know so much about it. So, you know, um, congratulations, I guess, to MLS. They they did a good job of uh, making sure no one saw that or heard about that. And yeah, like allowing it on T-shirts but not on flags and... It just feels so arbitrary. And then you hear things like, you know, white supremacists at New York City FC games and people feeling like not enough has been done there. I just think, um, I I don't understand why MLS is picking certain battles and not others. I agree. I I think the policy should be more clear. I think, you know, if if you're going to have military days and if you're going to allow pride flags why why can't the iron front symbol be allowed i, I don't really understand, so um it, it's a nuanced and complicated discussion so um and i haven't like like i said i haven't given it a ton of thought I, you know it's been a uh, busy stressful week for me, so i was I was thinking of doing a hot take about that, but i just didn 't have the time to like do the research and kind of put all my thoughts together uh you wrote an article about it um that people should check out but yeah, it's a complicated issue, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It just it feels arbitrary, and I don't know if it's achieving what MLS wants it to achieve, but it's going to be interesting to see how things go on from here because I feel like there has been a lot of pushback, and it's become a topic of discussion, whereas I think MLS created this policy, so it
0: wouldn't become yeah. a topic of discussion. Yeah, I mean, the, you saw the MLS Players Union... Um you know, coming out and supporting fans and saying that MLS should change the policy. So I don't think we're done talking about the subject. Um, and I think, like you said, there are more in-depth, more nuanced ways we could approach it. Um, but clearly, it, it is a big topic in MLS right now. And like you said, the league <laughs> has sort of chosen uh, a battle to fight here that um, seems a bit arbitrary. Looking ahead to the thorns. Uh, let's talk a little bit about them. I, I want to talk very briefly about the thorns versus rain game, because I think that a number of the things that sort of fell into the, that game, there was a lot of similar issues that I, I think came up in, in uh, thorns versus North Carolina uh, over the weekend. And, and so mm-hmm. um, thorns lose one, nothing at, C- at Tacoma, not Seattle. I'm going to call them Seattle forever. <laughs> Um, we both thought the Thorns would win. I thought a 2-1 win with a Haran goal. You thought a 1-0 win with a red card. Those did not pan out. Mm -mm. Uh, Rosie White scores after sort of a cross bounces into the box. The Thorns aren't able to clear it. Thorns aren't able to come back. They take 16 shots, but only put two on target. Um, I guess the one thing I want to talk about this game, but I think we'll talk a lot more about the attack in North Carolina. So I don't know if we need to, to... talk too much about that here. But in terms of the defense, you you look at the goal conceded in this game. You look at the goal conceded against North Carolina. How concerned are you with the Thorns' defense right now?
1: Yeah, I thought that the defensive performances were not great. Um, I think I said to you after one yeah. of the goals, I, I think I said, yikes or something, uh, that defense. Um, I do think it is concerning. I guess what I would say is that and I've talked about this before on this podcast, I think that the thorns have been here before yeah. in terms of putting in bad defensive performances, making mistakes and us feeling sort of worried about it. And then they sort of figure it out. And it seems like maybe it's sort of a, a chemistry sort of repetition issue or so I mean, I don't know how to diagnose it because it is, it has sort of been a thing that we've, seen over and over again with the Thorns, and typically they sort of figure it out. So from that standpoint, it's hard to sort of diagnose and say, oh, it's specifically this. This is what the Thorns need to do. But I don't know. What do you think, Jamie?
0: Yeah, I think you look at the goal they conceded uh, against Seattle. You look at North Carolina. They, they did a poor job on both occasions at sort of clearing it across out of the box. You look at the goal they conceded against Sky Blue. They let a cross go straight through the box without clearing it. I, I think that's just sort of individually being better in those moments, and, and I think we've seen the personnel on this roster be able to do that in the past. I, I do think the Thorns, and, and I think they deserve to be, uh, given sort of the the team that they are and the, their success in the past, I, I do think they're held to a higher standard a lot of times than, than other teams would be. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think when we get into the discussion of North Carolina, there's going to be a lot of sort of negatives or things that, we feel like the thorns need to get better at and yet they're in first place in the standings right now. So I, I think to some degree, it's a it's a luxury of being in Portland and expecting this team to be perfect every game um, that when they're not, it, it becomes maybe a little bit worse than it would be for most teams when you're talking about it. But yeah, I think they've conceded some bad goals recently and they have to be better. But what we know is this personnel, these players that have been on the field have been here, done that. They haven't made a ton of defensive changes. And so I still have faith at this point that they can put things together on that side of the ball. Yeah,
1: I mean, the Thorns uh, are number one uh, in the NWSL. So I agree. I think that they're held to a high standard and people want more from this team. But it's hard to argue with the results right now. I don't think it's... Uh, something we need to be overly worried about. And like I said, I I think we have seen
0: this before, and usually they sort of figure it out. So I guess we'll see. All right, let's look at the North Carolina game, and let's talk a little bit more specifically uh, about, especially on the attacking side, uh, some elements of this game and and how the Thorns have been playing recently. I thought the Thorns would get a 3-2 win with Heath getting two assists. Uh, There was no assist uh, on the Thorns side, uh, but they do get a 2-1 win. You thought it would be a 2-2 draw, so I guess you got the number of the goals for the Thorns correct. Um, I do really like your side bet here, though, because you said that someone would score (laughs) an own goal.
1: and Own goal was the star of that game. (laughs) Own
0: goal had a brace. Own goal was, uh, yeah was player of the game. Um,
1: <laughs> I think that prediction was good enough. That's like a Fernando Adi grabbing yeah. the chainsaw celebration <laughs> or something. Because that was that was sort of a weird side bet, I guess. I feel pretty good yeah. about getting that. So, it, yeah, I think it deserves the chainsaw. Yeah,
0: yeah something like that. <laughs> we got to come up with our ranking system. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think that was a good side bet. I, I would not have predicted the game to play out like this, but... It did. Um, let's get into the game first. Uh, then we mo- can talk a little bit about the attendance. But like we mentioned, the Thorns concede an early goal. We sort of touched on that after um, letting a cross kind of bounce around the box. But they get two back on North Carolina, on both on own goals. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of crazy how this game played out. Let's talk a little bit about the game even though they they win, and this is where I get into saying they're in first place, they won, there's a lot to be positive about, but let's get into the nuances, and they're going to be held to a little bit higher standards because they're the Thorns. And I I think that played out with the questions we got from listeners. So Michael wants to know, no Thorn has scored from the run of play in the last uh, roughly 330 minutes. How worried should we be about this team's inability to create and finish scoring chances?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the issue is creating scoring chances. Um, And, you know, if we look back to the game that the Thorns lost, uh, they took 16 shots. Their finishing wasn't very good. And I think finishing is one of those things that, you know, the finishing yips happen and you can't really figure out why. And just sort of thinking about team struggling finishing, uh, I can remember sitting in... A press conference with Caleb Porter, the Timbers had been having a lot of trouble finishing their chances for a few games in a row. And someone asked Caleb Porter, like, how do you fix that? And basically what he said is, I would be worried if we weren't creating chances, if we weren't taking shots, the goals will eventually come. And I think with the Thorns, they have had some trouble finishing and... I don't I I don't know what you do about that. It's not as if they're not training on their finishing and practice and working on goal scoring. I mean, that's kind of the number one rule of soccer. So you have to score goals to win the game. So, it's not as if it's something that they're not focused on. I think that these sorts of lulls where uh you know finishing isn't happening, that happens. It happens to every team. I think they'll figure it out. Um I'm, that's probably not a satisfying answer. I'm sure, you know, Michael was looking for very spe- <laughs> specific diagnosis and here's what they should do. But I think sometimes that's just what happens. And I think, we, you know, Jamie, you and I have covered these teams long enough to see that that is the case sometimes where they're just not scoring goals, they're not finishing, you can't really figure out why. And then they just start scoring goals again. Yeah. So I don't know. But what do you think? Yeah, I
0: mean, look at it. this team, four games ago, scored five goals on Houston. And to be fair, I think Houston has the worst defense in the league. <laughs> yeah. So you can look at that on both sides. But this team can clearly score. This team has Tobin Heath. It has Christine Sinclair. It has Lindsay around It has Midge Purse. It has Haley Rosso. And, and those players are going to score goals. They've shown that time and again. The Thorns have been one of the teams that scores the most goals in the league or up there in the rankings for the last few years, ever since Mark Parsons came uh, aboard for sure. And so I'm not that concerned. I I do think that having the national team players away has made a difference. I I mean, the U.S. national team players in particular are just coming back in for good. They, They came in for a minute and then they left for sky blue and then they came back again. I think with more consistency, that finishing will come, and I obviously came against Houston, but but I think it'll come against better defenses. So I'm not that worried about what the Thorns are going to look like as an attacking team in the next four five, six games. I yeah, I, I think that will get better, and I think if it is hasn't, that will be something we need to talk about more. What what I think. I'm a little bit more concerned about it is sort of what Jason asked us, which is he said the Thorns seemed to step slow at every position in the game and were are dominating the midfield. And so the question is, what do you see from that game that gave any indication that the Thorns could win next time they play North Carolina? And I, I think that's the question because we're talking about a team that's competing for first place in the league and North Carolina is a team that's going to be competing for first place in the league. How the Thorns are going to be doing against the top of the league, I I think is one of the biggest questions right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we sort of talked about the courage last week and how they're not this unstoppable juggernaut anymore. I mean, they're still a really good team and um, it's not the most confidence building performance (laughs) that you needed to own goals to beat them. But I don't think the courage are as good as they were last season. And you know, I mentioned this before, Mark Parsons said that the Thorns can't worry about trying to beat one team in the league. The Thorns have to be the best Thorns they can be. And I personally think that's the right approach. And I think especially because the Courage haven't looked you know, quite as dominant as they have been in the past, I think as long as the Thorns continue to get better, then they don't need to worry about North Carolina. Um, I think they'll be able to beat them, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think that I, – I think there was nothing from this game that, that made you say, look, the Thorns have figured North Carolina out. Obviously, they won. That's yeah. a nice little confidence boost for them, but North Carolina definitely contributed to the Thorns winning that game with, with, the, <laughs> with two really poor own goals that they scored. Um, the, those were – those ranked up there as some of the worst own goals I've seen uh, in the NWSL, um, although there has been a few. Uh, but – I, I I think the other element is that the Thorns didn't start their best lineup in this game. And, and so if you want mm-hmm. if you want an idea of what Thorns are going to look like against the Courage towards the end of the season, on both sides, I mean, Jessica McDonald was on the bench for the, the Courage as well. McCall Zerhabani was on the bench. There was a few players on, on both sides that weren't in the game that I think would be in the game if this was a – semi-final or final or maybe the a game closer to the end of the season and i think mm-hmm. that could make a difference I, I think gabby seiler has really stepped up in the midfield I, I think she's been able to claim that starting role and she could be a, sort of an x factor that the thorns didn't have last year when they play north carolina again she was on the bench for this game i think that Haley rosso and, and Midge purse uh have yeah. both been very good in the attack. I think Haley Rosso has looked a- a incredibly dynamic and really frustrated defenses since she came back. Both of them didn't come until halftime. And, and I did think they both made a difference in the second half.
1: Yeah. I think the game changed when they came in for sure.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I think that had a lot to do with it. And um, I, I do think and we have another question on this. I mean, the lineup decisions I think had more to do with the Thorns, just dealing with a compacted schedule with three games in eight days. And I do think they ultimately impacted the game and making those lineup changes in terms of the performance we got out of the Thorns.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the questions we've been getting and have been talking about the Purse versus Ford battle, and I think Purse might have pulled ahead of Caitlin Ford. I thought that uh, Purse looked a lot better. She definitely impacted the game. Um, her and Rosso coming in, I think, just changed the the dynamic of the whole game it felt like the thorns were on the front foot and they were in control more than they had been um for the first half
0: so i think yeah i I think that it'll be interesting to see um maybe when these next team next time these two teams play and and there's a bit more they're a bit more settled on both sides you can't really blame the fact the national team players are coming back in and, and maybe we see full strength lineups from each side That might give us a better sense, Uh, but I I think for a lot of reasons, the lineup, uh, the fact that their players are still integrating, the fact that Thorns were playing on short rest, I didn't take anything, like I said, away from this game that makes me think the Thorns can necessarily beat the Courage in a big game, but I didn't take away from this game that that's for sure not going to happen either. So we will see. I I do think before we finish our uh, talk on this game, the one thing I do want to at least touch on before we move on to predictions is the crowd Um, Mm. 25,218 fans. That sets a record for the NWSL for single game attendance. It is the second most uh, well-attended women's club game in the United States, uh, standalone women's club game in the United States ever. Uh, The inaugural game of the WUSA is the only game that drew more in in 2001 Mm. What did you were you even surprised? What do what did you think to see that crowd out there?
1: Of course, I'm not yeah. surprised. I mean, I live here in Portland. <laughs> I've written articles for the New York Times and the Guardian about the Portland Thorns' incredible support here in the city. I mean, this is one of the reasons that Portland is awesome and why I love living here. So, no, I'm not surprised. It's I guess that's sort of what makes it so awesome is that I wasn't surprised. You sort of expected. It. It's like as soon as they added to the stadium it's like okay well now the thorns are gonna be able to sell this many more seats and they're gonna be able to set a new record
0: yeah i i definitely assumed the the minute that the stadium opened that the thorns would be setting the record sometime this year i think what's been impressive has been some of the other crowds we've seen across the league i, I think the thorns are expected yeah. I, and I, I, they are averaging over nineteen thousand this year which is a little bit higher than than usual so I, I think that's nice for them but some of the other crowds we've seen a games like Sky Blue selling out. Um, Mm -hmm. That's where I think it's, uh, even though it's fewer fans coming to the games, I I almost think that's where it's more important for the league to see some of the lower end teams getting those kind of numbers. Yeah, Chicago Red Stars had 17,000 at a, is it Toyota Park? Toyota Field? I think it's
1: Toyota Park. It's 17,000 people, which, I mean, is huge for the Red Stars. The Red Stars have been around for two iterations of women's soccer leagues. And that's the biggest crowd they've ever had. So, I mean, it's a really positive sign and we love the support that the Thorns have, but I think everyone here in Portland wants to see that in other cities sort of spreading around as well.
0: So I expect another big crowd next weekend. I don't know if they're going to sell it again, but I, I would expect the Thorns to draw another big crowd when they play Washington on Saturday at seven thirty PM. Um, Washington had a really strong start to the year, but has dropped to seventh place in the standings. They do have some pretty good players. Malpew, who I think was dealing with a hip injury. She I don't think she played in Washington's last game, um, but she's on the roster. Rose Lavelle is obviously on that team, uh, so there's some talent there. But I, I, I think this is a game that the Thorns potentially could, uh, you know, show us that they can get back to their attacking ways.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I have to say, uh, so... During the World Cup when I was in France, I was kind of following along with the NWSL just kind of based on looking at the standings and highlights. And I I was shocked in France when I looked at the standings and like the spirit were not at the bottom of the league. That totally took me by surprise. And I guess now we're into this second phase of the season where everyone has all their best players and the spirit have sort of dropped like a pebble. <laughs> so uh it seems that the spirit maybe thrived playing against teams that didn't have their best players and they haven't been doing quite as well uh since the World Cup has ended. And yeah, I mean I think that the Thorns are a better team than the Spirit. I just think player for player this is a game that the Thorns should win, um, you know, at home. Uh, good opportunity for three points here.
0: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we talked about the fact that we're we're not too concerned about this attack or this defense. They're, they're going to put it together. But I, there, I, there's, what, seven games left in the season at this point they have to start putting it together. We have to start seeing them reach that heading in that direction, the peak they want to be towards the end of the year. And like you said, I I think this is a good opportunity for them to do that for sure. All right, before we go, let's hit our predictions. Uh, Once again, we have uh, multiple games to predict uh, with the Timbers playing a midweek game. So let's start there. Timbers versus Chicago. That is Wednesday night. What do you have?
1: So I have the Timbers winning two to zero and my side bet is I think that a ball is going to hit a Timbers player's hand and it is not going to be called as a penalty <laughs> in the box.
0: That would be. Getting
1: specific, but. Yeah. That would be a good like, one. The history repeats itself. And we've had a lot of non-handball situations. So I think it's going to happen again.
0: Well, I'm going to go with a 3-1 to one win. And I had a different side bet on here. But thinking about the lineup and what it's going to be. Um, I'm going to go with the Pareto school. Mm. Nice. Yeah, we'll see. Somewhat higher level difficulty than what I've been going with. So we'll see. I think
1: anything that's like player dependent <laughs> and we're dealing with Giovanni Severese who could start anyone. You're always sort of rolling the dice on who's going to play. Well, oh, so, yeah. Yeah.
0: Up, up until a few <laughs> players. I think there's a few that are just lowest right. level difficulty, but we will see. Uh, yeah, Steve Clark makes it safe. <laughs> That's my side. (laughs) That, yeah, that would be a great one, especially if it didn't happen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll do that one week. Yeah, Yeah, we'll
0: see. All right. Thorns versus Washington. What do you have?
1: So I have the Thorns winning. I don't know why I have the scoreline. I'm going to say one to zero, maybe a little tight.
0: Uh, And Midge Purse is going to score the goal. All right. I don't think it's going to be that tight. I'm going to predict a two to zero win. And I think Haley Rasso has looked really good. So I'm going to predict that she scores a goal here. Okay. And the final game of the weekend will be the rematch of MLS Cup last year. Timbers (laughs) versus Atlanta. So I have a
1: 2-2 draw. I think uh, they're going to split the points. And I'm going to say that Joseph Martinez, who has been on fire as we discussed, is going to get a brace.
0: Well, I'm going to be a a total homer on this one. And and I think part of this is because I I do think the Timbers are going to start picking up points at home. Um, And so I'm really leaning on that. But Atlanta is a very good team, so it could go totally against what I predict. I'm going to predict a 3-2 win. This is going to be an exciting game. And maybe Martinez will have a brace, but I'm going to predict that Fernandez will have a brace for the Timbers.
1: Mm. So. Well, someone's getting Someone a, so get a race, <laughs> yeah. so it's going to be exciting.
0: It's going to be a really exciting game. I recommend everyone show up for that one based on, <laughs> based on our great predictions.
1: <laughs> our predictions, which always turn out to be yes. right. I mean, it, we're basically Nostradamus over here. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, before we go, let's talk about people that are actually good at predicting things, and that's our fantasy update. Uh, in our head-to-head league, uh, we have Sloppy, Sloppy, Sloppy in third place. That's Steve. We have the Perpendiculars, that's Roy in second place. And we have Mark, uh, as always, the one who provides these standings for us and runs the league. That's Flicking, Portland, and PTSC. In our Open League, uh, we have um, Manischewitz, United, that's David in third place. We have Luke Score More Goals, that's Robert in second place. And Portland, Tobin FC, that's B, is still in first place. Uh, Jamie B. Goldberg, FC, is in seventh place. So uh, uh, here's to... Just got to check on yeah, that here's Yeah, here's to hoping uh, whoever has that team can, can move up the standings really quickly. Um, they might want to put some timbers <laughs> on the roster this week since they're... Where's the
1: Caitlin Murray, FC? Yeah. I'm, I'm offended. Well...
0: <laughs> maybe
1: well i did I did join the podcast after the league started,
0: but. yeah maybe, maybe that person's at forty seventh place you, you you don't know they're just not <laughs> Last place they're just not doing it as well <laughs> 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 um yeah, the Timbers play twice this week, so I expect a lot of Timbers players on these fantasy rosters this week, and maybe mm-hmm. jamie B. Goldberg can uh can move up the standings a bit. <laughs> We're pulling for we you. Um, and if anyone wants to start a Caitlin Murray FC, it, it sounds like Caitlin will be uh, behind that.
1: <laughs> I'd like it to be an SC. An SC? I'm anti-F. I, yeah, I don't like FC. Do SC and yeah, I'm on board.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll see if someone can follow up with that. That's all for us this week. We're Soccer Made in Portland. We won't be back next week. Uh, I will be at a wedding Um, But you can find us almost every week on Stumtown Footy and OregonLive.com. And you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next time, take care.